0: Well, I uh, appreciate Pastor Greg's uh, invitation to me to uh, speak tonight. Uh, it's an honor always to to preach God's Word. It's a, it's a very great, great privilege. Um, right now, I am, uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, serving as an interim pastor uh, for a, a church uh, in Indian Mound, uh, Tennessee, and so... Uh, I'm not here on Sunday morning, but I've really, really enjoyed uh, Pastor Greg and his preaching and the music and the fellowship of this church that I've enjoyed on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights when I've been here. And uh, I, I really thank you for um, the hospitality that you've shown and uh, the welcoming that you have given to me and my wife as we are new in this community. So I, I really, really appreciate that. Uh, Tonight, uh, I would like for us to look together in Philippians chapter 2, and I want to uh, read verses 12 and 13 of Philippians chapter 2. I was born in Miami, Florida. I grew up in in South Florida, Uh, and where I grew up in those days, I don't know what it is like now, it's been decades since I've been back where I grew up. But when I grew up, uh, there was a very strong building code uh, because of hurricanes. And as a young person, I never had a snow day to get out of school. (laughs) But occasionally, some years, there'd be a hurricane or so uh, that would come through. And I remember uh, one year A hurricane came and the eye of the hurricane came over where we lived. And when that eye came over, we went outside of the house and we looked around and it was perfectly calm in the eye of that hurricane. It was so calm you could light a match and there wouldn't be enough wind to blow that match out. But in a little while... (laughs) The other side of that hurricane came and you, you know, got back in the house and, and uh, waited those, a- it takes hours and hours and hours for a hurricane to pass. So we'd wait for that hurricane to pass. And you know, uh, a- after that, you know, there'd be a lot to clean up, lots of branches down, power lines down, but I never knew even one house in our neighborhood that had damage to it. Why? Because there was a standard that uh, built, had, houses had to be built to, at least at that time when I was growing up uh, in South Florida. Uh, again, when I was growing up and I began to drive, uh, the, at the county that I lived in, you had to have your vehicle inspected once a year. So the county ran the inspection uh, center and you went down there when it was time to renew your sticker and you drove through and they checked your car out if it didn't pass you had to find to fix it or have a mechanic fix it Uh, there was at my house where I grew up nobody fixed anything but us (laughs) my dad never hired anybody to do anything uh, he was an aircraft mechanic, so everything mechanical he fixed, and everything else. Uh, he had four little workers at home. Why would he hire anybody to do any work around there? But we would have to go and have our vehicles inspected, and if you passed the inspection, it was in good mechanical working order, you'd get the sticker. They were, they were a standard for motor vehicles in the county where I grew up. And you know what? Uh, God has a standard that we as followers of Jesus are to live by. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. I pray for us, your your children, your servants, uh, that we would be diligent and living according to what you have said that we would be diligent to live according to your will, that we might be pleasing in your sight, and that through how we live, the kind of men and women we are, that you would be glorified in and through us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. These verses uh, come in the midst of a section here in uh, the Paul's letter to the Philippians that actually started in chapter 1, verse 27, and goes on past this, to verse 18 in this chapter. Here he's, he's, he, he is um, moving from some things he had been saying to the application of that. And so he says there in verse 12, So then, therefore, because of what he had written, these things were to be true. We were to do these things as followers of Jesus. And this section began by saying, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, that word conduct yourselves, your translation might say live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. But that, that word in this translation, translated as conduct, is a word that meant live as a citizen. In chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, uses a, the noun form of that word, and he says, for our citizenship is in heaven. We're citizens if you've been born again If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Just as citizens here, we have responsibilities and privileges. So as citizens of God's kingdom, we have responsibilities as well as the privileges. God blesses us, but he has a standard that he wants us to uphold, to live by. He's the standard. And that standard is outlined and revealed for us right here in his word, his, the Bible. He had said that, and then after he had, had said, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, he talked about living that out in the midst of a world that's in opposition to the word of God, to God, to the gospel. He had talked then about their, their relationships in the church and how they could live together, you know that uh, as, as Christians, we not only have an individual witness to live in, with, uh, before our family and our neighbors and to talk to people about, about Jesus and about faith in the Lord, but to, that together as a, as a church, our, the community of believers has a testimony, has a witness in that community to the gospel. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. If you're just, about, if you're just one of those. Um, lone Ranger Christians. How are you going to show that? It's together. We show that. And uh, John chapter uh, 17. In that prayer of Jesus. On the, on the night when he was to be arrested. And the next day crucified. In that prayer. One of the things that he prayed. Is that we who are believers in Jesus. We would be one. Just as he and the father are one. And in that unity. The world would know that God sent his son. Isn't that amazing? That in how we live together as a church, the unity that we have is a testimony to the gospel. So you see our time together, when we gather together, when we encounter one another, if you work together, if you encounter one another in the community, those times are are vital importance to the, the witness of the gospel here in this community and to, to the people who live here. And he, so he talks about the relationships um, consider one another more important than yourselves. Don't look out, don't just look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Whether your translation says mind or attitude, it's talking about the mindset, the way you think about things, about how life is ch- should be lived. We are to do the, the same way, think the same way about living uh, that Jesus had. And he then goes on to talk about Jesus as our example. And he comes to the end of the example of Jesus and what God does in exalting Christ so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord, and here it is, to the glory of God. And that's what our living is to be. To the glory of God. And so having said those things, he comes to this place and he says, so then. So then. And the next thing he talks about is obedience. He says, before he gets to the actual command, he talks about obedience. That they had obeyed what Paul had preached. What Paul had taught about Christ and about what God has done for us in the Lord. And the kind of men and women we are to be. And how we are to live. Obedience. You know, the sign of true faith is obedience to the Lord. Paul, when he's writing the introduction to his letter to the Romans, if you read that introduction, you'll find this, that it's, he hints, he mentions in a word and a phrase things that he'll expand on later on as he writes the letter. And one of those things he says is that Jesus, whom, whom, Jesus, he talked about Jesus Christ, whom who has um, grant, given grace and apostleship, who has given us grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. You see that phrase, obedience of faith? He's talking about real faith. Faith that demonstrates itself in a life of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. We may stumble, we may fall, but what characterizes the life of a Christian is obedience to the Lord. He mentions that here, and then he goes on to, to give the command we find in this passage of Scripture, in these verses. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now people say, oh, wait a minute, what, what does that really say in there? I mean, I thought we didn't work for salvation. Well, we don't. The Bible's very, very clear that salvation is a gift. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he said, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. When we get to heaven, none of us are going to be able to say, look what I did. Look how much money I gave. Look at all the good things I did. Look what I have earned. Now, here's what we'll say. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We'll fall down on our knees. So let, but be on our faces before the Lord and say, thank you, thank you, Lord, for what you have given to me. Thank you that because of what you have done, I get to be here. It's all a gift by the grace of God. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about working out that salvation. It is a word for work, but it's not a work to get salvation. It's having salvation. You work that. There are farmers around here. Some of you probably farm. A farmer doesn't go out there and farm to produce the field. But he goes out there and works the field to produce a crop. To produce that fruit and um, what Paul is talking about here as saved people show that salvation put that salvation into action in your life and produce the fruit that gives shows that you and I are in fact really people of God really saved salvation produces a fruit in the lives of men and women who are truly saved who are truly born again who truly have faith in Jesus Christ now God takes this very seriously he's talking about how we live that salvation out and God takes it very seriously notice the phrase that he follows this with he says with fear and trembling with fear and trembling. We want to hear something like, oh, God loves you. He does love us. But, he, but He's God. And He takes Himself, He takes what he, he says, He takes it very seriously. And so He says us to do this with fear and trembling. When I was growing up in my family, my parents had standards. My parents had, they had standards, and they had standards of conduct. They had standards of how you dressed. They had standards for the kind of language you used, the kind of things that you said. Standards in all these areas. Um, My parents believed, spare the rod and spoil the child. Now, the rod that my parents had was the belt. And if you disobeyed, you got the belt. Here's my mom. She's, she, there wasn't any wait till your dad gets home and he's going to give you a whipping. She, she could wield that belt as well as my dad could. And here she is. This hurts me more than it hurts you. <laughs> you know. Uh, spare the rod and spoil the child. I had that uh, rod applied to me a number of times growing up. And not just my parents. Uh, we'd go visit my, uh, my, my sister and I, all of us kids. We'd go and stay at an aunt and uncle's house and play with our cousins. We'd have a great time. But here were the things my parents would say before they left us there. If they misbehave, give them a spanking. And we got some, Honestly. Not only that, my parents, when they took us to school, the first day of school, here's the instructions to the teacher. If they need a spanking, give it to them. If I got in trouble at school, I was even in worse trouble when I got home. My parents had a standard of conduct. You treated uh, older people with respect. My parents loved camping. I remember one time we were camping in Yellowstone National Park, and we're going up to Old Faithful, and here I'm a, this little boy, and, um, and so, uh, some elderly lady had to go around me. Ooh-wee. I got the lecture. Um, you do not, that's, to be, you're being disrespectful. Don't, you, just, anytime a, an older person comes by, you get out of the way. You don't make them move out of your way. And obviously, I took the lesson to heart because I'm still talking about it here, uh, you know, <laughs> 60 years later. <laughs> they had a, had a standard. Uh, um, they had a, a standard for how you dress. There were uh, ways that t- you dress when you went someplace you dressed a certain way or didn't dress a certain way. Um, one time, my father was at work one day, my mother went somewhere, I don't know where she went, but we children were at home alone, and uh, we decided that we would play Indians. So we took off all our clothes and put on loincloth, and we're running around, you know, playing, having a, having a big time, and my mother came home and she said, where are your clothes? And and here's what what we we said, uh, we're Indians, Indians don't wear clothes. And she she said, Indians didn't know any better, put your clothes on. (laughs) And uh, obviously, I listened to my mother, and uh, mom, everybody appreciates that, thank you. Uh, they had standards of conduct, and, and we were expected to live up that. We were taught about, about how to act, how to treat other people, how to respect, how to show respect for older people. Um, they had uh, standards of, of the way we speak. There were words that were not allowed to be spoken in our home. Um, profanity, and even not more than profanity, just something that wasn't proper to say to somebody. But profanity, no. I never, never heard my father or mother use profanity. And they expected us to live up to that standard. If little Daryl used words that were unacceptable, here was was what I heard I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. They take a bar of soap. I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, body wash probably wouldn't be as bad. You know, you, you can probably get that out pretty quick. But a bar of soap, and here's what you do. You open your mouth and scrape that bar of soap off on your teeth, upper and bottom. And I, want to, I, I, I will tell you, uh, it isn't easy to get that soap off your teeth. It's—it's—it's it's, it's that Whatever you do, it's going to be there for a while. But I I will tell you this, soap will clean up the language of a little boy. (laughs) So my parents had standards that we lived by because we were their children. We were in that family. And you know what? God has standards. He wants us to look like Jesus. Jesus is the one that we are to imitate I'm so glad for people who are an encouragement to me. You know, there are people, when you're around them, they love the Lord. And the way they, they act, the way they talk, their attitude is just encouraging to, um, to, to, to be what we ought to be for the Lord. I, I hope that I'm that kind of person and that you're that kind of person where you are. The world and the church, um, brothers and sisters, would definitely, desperately need that t- today. Standards, God has a standard. Now, I loved my parents, and most of the time, I obeyed my parents because I I loved them. I wanted to honor them. I wanted to respect them. I wanted to please them. But there were lots of times, plenty of times, when I obeyed them because of fear and trembling. I knew what would happen to me if I disobeyed them. And you know what? God disciplines His children. Now, that word discipline in the Bible, it means more than chastisement. It's a, there's a whole thing to discipline that's more than just chastisement. But it does include that. And I want, I want to tell you this. Um, God's judgments are terrible. But in this life, temporal, the temporal judgments of God, the judgments that He sends on, the chastisement that He sends on our life, those are redemptive. And just as my parents had a standard of conduct, of dressing, of speaking, for us as children, why they have that? Because they wanted us to grow up to be good, responsible, respectable, hardworking men and women. God wants us to grow up to be holy. And, and display his righteousness, bring honor and glory to him, to become like Jesus. He's got that standard, and he's working that in our lives. Now, as a parent, um, you, and you look at children, um, my, my children pl- played in sports, many of you played in sports, and your parents and you, your children played in sports, and you go to whatever it is, and they're, they're little kids, and they're out there playing. You know, I would go to the, um, uh, when my boys played baseball and they were small, real small, you'd go out there. Half of the children on the field had brought cars or something with them. And they're sitting, laying on the ground laying, sitting on, and they're driving their cars around during the game, you know. <laughs> But you, you hear uh, parents on the sideline, and they are, they've probably done some instruction to their little boys, little girls about whatever game it was, whether it's baseball or soccer or football or basketball, whatever it is, t- telling them uh, how to play, what to do. And when they're playing on the field and the parents are on the sideline, they are shouting encouragement to them or instruction, get under that, get under that, get, get in front of that, run, go after it. And you can watch those kids. And if the child makes some uh, mistake out there, and they hear mom or they hear dad, in the, at first they may have a little letdown because they made a mistake, but then they hear that voice of encouragement and they take off and they have renewed energy to go after it. We as parents, and our parents to us, could only shout from the sideline. They couldn't do anything in us to enable us to do what, we needed to be doing. It's so different with God. Yes, He gives instruction. Yes, He gives correction. Yes, He gives encouragement. But He can do more. He's not, he doesn't just work on the outside. When you become a Christian, He comes in and works, out, works on the inside. I love that uh, verse, uh, Philippians 1, 6, where, it says, where Paul wrote and says, I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Here he says, work out your salvation for. Here's here's how, why you can do it. For God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He doesn't just tell us what to do. He just doesn't, doesn't tell us what kind of men and women to be. He's at work in us. To do two things. First, he says he, he's in us to will to do what, is right, what he wants. To will to do that. He, when you become a Christian, God changes your desires, He gives you desires you didn't have. Um, many years ago, I uh, lifted weights, used to work out at this uh, place. It was called the Muscle and Fitness Center. In Park City, Tennessee. And I uh, worked out there two, uh, a few years. And um, uh, it, it, by the way, it was a great place to witness because about every three months, you had practically a whole new group of people to share the gospel with. Because one, one week, most of them were gone. The next week or two, the rest of them were gone. And, and they had to get new people coming in all the time. So you always had a bunch of new people to talk to about Jesus. But there were a, a handful of hardcore weightlifters there. I remember... Uh, my daughter, Sarah, she was like three, four, and five years old when I worked out there. And I, I, I would take her over there to the, to the place with, with me. And they had a, a giant screen television in there. And those, guy, those guys would put on the Cartoon Network in there, for uh, and Sarah, this little girl, she would sit down there, but here would be these big, strong weightlifters, and they'd be in there with Sarah, sitting down, laughing at the cartoons, you know, and it was hilarious to see these giant men, and this little girl in there watching Cartoon Network. Uh, There were several men in that gym who worked out there, who entered, who were bodybuilders, and they competed in bodybuilding contests. Um, and, you know, I would be talking to them, and um, one guy would say, Oh, you know, we don't go hungry, but we follow a very, very strict diet to get ready for these contests. And so I'd go in there, here'd be some guy, he has a can of tuna fish, packed in water, of course, no fat. And he'd be eating that can of tuna fish. Nothing else on it, just tuna fish. And I'd come in and I'd say, oh, eating that cat food again, huh? You know, so, and he would say, yeah, well, I'm getting ready for the competition. And uh, they'd go out to a a restaurant, for instance, and get a takeout and bring it to the gym. And here's what would be in that takeout. A salad with no dressing on it. Nothing. Um, Steamed broccoli. No salt, no cheese, nothing good put on that. Uh, just steamed broccoli. They would have a grilled chicken breast. They'd take that chicken breast and go over to the faucet and wash off as, all the seasoning that they could after that, after that chicken breast, and that's what they would eat. Healthy, well, yeah, it, it was, but um, you know, not, not what I would want to eat. And so, uh, here, and here would be the conversation in the gym uh, two or three weeks before that competition. Here's what they'd be saying to each other. I can't wait till this competition is over. I'm going to go out and get me the biggest, juiciest, greasiest hamburger I can find. And other ones would say, I'm going to go out and get me a large pizza with all the cheese and everything on it. Now, why didn't they eat that? Then, they wanted it. They longed for it. They desired it. But they didn't need it. You know why? Because they had a greater desire. They wanted to do well in the contest. When you and I become Christians, we still have these other desires. But we've got a greater desire that overrules every other desire. We love God and our desire for Him and our desire to please Him rules every other desire. And so there are things that stir up desires in me but I say, no, I'm not going to do that. That's outside. You see, God gave us desires, but He also gave us the boundaries where we can fulfill those desires in His will and for His glory. And when we become Christians, He works in us to will, to will, to do what he desires. And it rules everything else, every other desire in our lives. He does it in us. He gives us that. He works that in us. Not only that, he says, is that working you to will, but also this, to work. For his good pleasure. He doesn't just give us the desire to do something that we don't have the ability to do. Now I will tell you that apart from his working in us. We don't have the ability to live the Christian life. We need his help. We need his empowering. We need his working in us. But he does that. He does that. He not only gives us a desire. But then he gives us the power The resources to be the men and women that he wants us to be. To do the things that he wants us to be. To say what he wants us to say. He does. He works that way. Paul would say, it is Christ working in me. And it's the same thing for us. It's not something just for the apostle. It's the thing for every single Christian here. But notice this. It is for His good pleasure. I've never been a very deep person. I have heard that there are people who said, why am I here? What is my purpose? I was never that deep. But I can tell you why we're here. I can tell you what the purpose is for every man and woman. It is to glorify God. That's the purpose of our existence. Our main purpose is not to be blessed. Our main purpose is not to be happy. God does give that to us. But He gives that to us as we live lives and are the kind of men and women that He wants us to be, doing what He want us, wants us to do. When we glorify Him, we find Him blessing us. And someday in His time, if we glorify Him and live for His glory now, He will glorify us with Him. Peter wrote and said, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time. Live for the glory of God. Follow His working. Follow His leadership. Be all that God wants, us, wants you to be uh, as, a, as an individual Christian, but as a fellowship of believers who bear testimony for the gospel in this community. Live for His glory. Work out your salvation. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Pastor Greg.